Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is really great to have you here. On today's episode, I sit down for a chat with a man who has lived more lives than most. Jack Gruber is an award-winning photojournalist, a true adventurer, and a dude who just knows how to get shit done. He's also the brains behind one of the most fascinating internship programs I've ever witnessed. Let's get into it. y'all thank you so much for being here it's maddie c welcome back to the what am i making podcast uh first thanks for letting me get this thing out to you a couple of days late for those of you who did not see the essay that i put up here on the uh the old substack blog um i had some inner tube troubles here and we had about uh four or five days where we didn't have internet and uh my scheduled zoom with jack uh, just was not going to work with just cell service. And so he was kind enough to put it off. And so um, <clears throat> I was able to bring this to you just a couple of days later. So thank you to you for your patience. Thank you to Jack for uh, his uh, flexibility. And here we are. Um, had a really good weekend this past weekend uh, or on the west side of the state with my dear, dear homies in the stick arounds. Um, boy, as much fun as I had uh, traipsing around the country for two and a half weeks out by myself. It was good to get back on the road with my uh, my second family in the sticks. We had a blast. Um, for those of you who are in Michigan, Speciation Ales in Grand Rapids, Michigan is uh, for real. It is a great place. Uh, they do a lot of really interesting kind of sour beers and it's a nifty little spot. And uh, we played with a band called Hollywood Makeout who were terrific. And uh, just a really, really, really fun night. Big crowd, really, really great time. And then did a kind of an unusual thing for us, did a matinee on Saturday. We did an outdoor thing called Walk the Beat, which is an outdoor uh, sort of civic community event in a little beach community along the Lake Michigan shore called Grand Haven. And uh, they have, I don't know, 25 or 30 different stages with two bands, and it runs all afternoon. And people can kind of walk all over and get food and go to shops and get ice cream and kind of do all kinds of things and see a ton of music and uh the the folks who played at our stage uh were great uh the incantations and uh we went to a uh, legendary local pizza joint called fricano's and got ourselves uh, some greasy pies after we were done it's a really nice weekend it was great to see my boys in the sticks um I, uh, I hope you've been paying attention to the Substack. I've been uh, I've been working my little uh, it's not little, but I've been working my ass off putting those things up there for you, uh, trying to get stuff out uh, every weekday. Um, again, I don't know how long I can keep that up. Right now, I can, and I'm pretty proud of it. And I feel like I want to keep that momentum. And I feel like most of the stuff I'm doing here is evergreen. And again, if you're enjoying it, it'd be really really helpful if you could share it. And um, maybe, you know throw it up on social media or send it specifically to, you know, one or two friends who might like the, the particular film or record or artist or concept or whatever, or story that I'm telling. Um, this is the best way to make this thing grow, both the pod and the Substack itself. Um, I'll also confess I, uh, I'm doing okay, but I am struggling a little bit with the post tour blues. It's been a month since I got home. 
And I've had, you know, a couple of uh, sort of frustrating things in my personal life. Most specifically, I've been waiting to be able to drive for Uber and Lyft. And there is this sort of bottleneck that's happening with background checks in the state of Michigan. And mine keeps getting kicked down the line like so many others. And I don't need to get into the details of this because it's not like a crucial issue. But long story short, it's been a month since I got home. And I really thought I was going to be able to start driving like in a couple of days. So getting a little antsy, getting a little stir crazy on that front and a little frustrated. And, um, that's, you know, that's, that's been a challenge for me. It's been a challenge for my mental health. It's been a challenge for my focus. And uh, it's one of the reasons that I'm trying to stay really busy writing. Um, and I've been, I've been doing some other things and trying to make, make some good use of that time. One of the things I've been working on, which I'm just going to tease a tiny little bit, is I'm working on the possibility of a really massive tour in the early part of 2024. So if you want to host a Maddie C show and you were thinking, hey, I didn't get to do that last time or you didn't come to my neighborhood, well, I'm coming to a lot more neighborhoods in February and March and I will have info for you soon. So start looking at your calendars and putting your thinking caps on. Excuse me, because Maddie sees I'm I'm probably coming your way. Really, all you gotta do is ask, and I'll come your way, even if it's not February or March. I I'm not I'm not gonna play hard to get. I I need the gigs. I need the gigs. All right, let's uh, let's get into my guest. My uh, my guest, and now my friend Jack Gruber has been around the world and back more than once. In his 35 years as a photojournalist, Jack has embedded himself with troops in Iraq, Afghanistan and other far-flung places around the globe. He's followed teams on their journey to winning a Stanley Cup and then covered the subsequent tragedy of an ensuing celebration that went horribly wrong. He has spent the last 20 years of his career at the USA Today, largely covering hard news and politics. From the court to the courtroom, Jack Gruber has been on the front lines of American history and culture for the better part of the last four decades. And now he is sharing what he has learned and experienced in that time with young people through a remarkable internship program. The Boyd Station Image Archive and the Boyd Station Gallery in Cynthiana, Kentucky are designed solely to archive the lives and to celebrate the creativity of Harrison County, Kentucky. Jack and his team sought to build a place where young people from around the country could come to learn on-the-job photojournalism while also helping to document the life of one rural American county. This project has led to a gallery space where work from the students in the program, as well as member of the local arts guild and nearby high school students, can show and sell their work. Jack sees it as a self-sustaining operations that he hopes can grow and subsist organically. I first met Jack when he was recommended to me as a stop on my solo tour this summer. Jack his mother Myrtle, and the entire town of Cynthiana welcomed me with very open arms. It is hard not to fall in love with a town and with people like this. These are good folks trying to carve out and create something unique in the sort of place that usually doesn't have the forward momentum to keep it going for very long. But in Cynthiana, it is thriving. It was a pleasure to catch up with a guy who gets things done, makes things happen, and always makes you feel better for talking to him. Here's photojournalist and my friend, Jack Gruber, the sort of guy who genuinely makes the world a better place to be. 
I should mention we begin our chat talking about Jack's recent trip to see one of his kids who is currently studying at the prestigious Interlochen Arts Academy in northern Michigan. Word to the wise, about 18 minutes into our discussion, Jack loses connection for just a minute and we connect back fairly quickly. You'll notice a quick, a quick edit, but nothing else to worry about. Enjoy. Oh man, how are you, buddy? Good, good. Oh my god, thank you so much for doing this twice. That's all right. Actually, today would have been really. I was on call last night. I booked a flight for Atlanta. Okay, to get down there, but we plans at the last minute, so we're okay. good. Okay. Um, how are things? Good. Just in general, interlocking was sweet. Yeah, interlocking was great. Travis City was great. Good. All the Petoskis, everything was good. We did a, we did it all. Oh, it's gorgeous up there. I'm so glad you got up there. God damn, I haven't been up, I haven't been up there in too long, man. Uh, it's just gorgeous up there. Um, yeah, it was did good. The kid, it was, did the kid have fun up nice. there? Yeah, actually, we're just talking about it. Um, yeah, I think loved it. Good experience. A lot of kids, a lot of different places, okay. but also opened up the eyes to what else is out there so good good well that's all fun it's kind of what it's supposed to do right man yep all about doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that to get experience so yeah um first time being around a lot of kids the same age going through life so that's a good thing how big is the uh how big is the enrollment up there now do you know i think it's close to 1200 kids in the summer wow that's massive. So it's just not music. It's, it's oh yeah, kids, everything, theater, yeah. welding. Uh, there's a welding program. There. Uh, there's a sculpture and fine arts program there. I think it's it, it's huge. It's a and it's an international thing. Like it is, it's crazy. Yeah. Um. So, talk to me. I mean, you uh, you said it was a good experience. Uh, experience is like your middle name, dude. I mean, if I'm going to like segue into interviewer mode, like from the moment that you and I started talking, it was like, this is a dude who's just lived life. Um, is, is that an accurate assessment as somebody who hasn't known you very long? And, and if so, where do you think that came from? So this is really kind of easy. I'm, I'm just a guy who grew up in a little small town in Ohio and just wanted to go out and explore. I always had this kind of what else is out there, but not so much that I had to be like running away at every given moment saying I'm never coming back to this place. It was always like, this is cool. Learning about life and doing things, building things, making things, building a barn or gosh, going down on the Creek and just taking pictures with an old camera that I had. And that, that just grew. And it's a lot of opportunities being a small town kid. You can take a lawnmower and drive it five miles into town and hang out with your friends when you're you know, 10 years old or sit around and add things to that lawnmower, make it like a, you know, a Terminator machine and no <laughs> one cares. I mean, no one cares. P- people are like bringing you pieces of their truck and their cars. They build bigger when you're 12 years old. I mean, that's what it is. And 
I've always had that idea, luckily growing up on a farm and going away to college, the same thing, being around kids who, you know, didn't know how to change a tire or drive a forklift or, you know, hot wire a tractor. I mean, those are just life lessons that you got those in your pocket. You can do almost anything. And I've always been that way. I've just always wanted just to press my, um, my luck with things and try new things, meet new people and learn. And just if you didn't know how to do it before YouTube, you just tried and you failed. And yeah. And, and if you got lucky, you might find somebody who could sort of shove you in the right direction or maybe provide a couple of basic skills or go, hey, I've got this. Like you said, somebody gave you a secondhand camera or something when you were 10 and then that lit some kind of fire. Right. So what did you like? Oh, yeah. Like, were you were you taking pictures regularly? Like, was there a school paper or anything you were doing? So I literally got a camera when I was 14 years old. I went away on a class trip in the summer, took a lot of pictures, had some teachers who taught me how to process black and white film at school. And um, when I got into junior high, um, you know, small towns, you know, everyone. They're like, hey, we should build a dark room, all this. I honestly walked into a local newspaper in our town. It was like 10 miles away when I was right when I turned 16. Got my driver's license the day I turned 16. Drove up to the small little newspaper, the Greenville Daily Advocate, walked in the door and said, hey, I want to be a photographer. And they laughed at me. And the managing editor at that time was a guy who was like, yeah, all right. And he handed me a roll of black and white film. He said, go in that dark room and process this. and We'll talk. I mean, luckily, I had actually an idea how to process a roll of black and white film, but walking into a new space and I just threw it together and did it and walked out. I'm like, here you go, guys. This 15-year-old kid or 16-year-old kid. And they're like, huh, can you take pictures? And I'm like, yeah, of course I can. And they're like, you're well, hired. You're, six, you're 16 and, years old, so that's easy. You're like, I can do anything. You're 16. What's amazing is that I don't think most 16-year-old kids, even at that time who had some interest, would have sort of the the nerves to like go into that room and just calm down and go, I know how to do this. Like that's a that's a skill in and of itself, right? Being able to just in a moment's notice be able to get, and that certainly comes in handy later in your career. Um, but so that, I mean, so basically you get a driver's license and then you turn around and get a job. Not only a job, I'm paid like, I think I have my pay stubs. I think it's like two bucks an hour, something like that. But <laughs> and this is, at that this time, is what I gave the keys to the building. This is 1982. Okay. Greenville Daily Advocate. Okay. Little, it was a daily newspaper, I believe, and 10, or 7,000 circulation in the county. Okay. But my job was every day, come over after school or in the summer, work all day, take pictures walk into every other school in the county. They Actually, at one point, the paper was calling the high school that I, I attended and they would leave messages for me with my assignments with the high school, um, you know, the, the secretary. And they would run down to class <laughs> in like algebra. And they come running in like, Jack, you have an assignment at 3.30 after school. I'm like, okay, I can fit them in. Thanks. And Unreal. I would just run around the county. I'd shoot three football games a night on Friday night in my Camaro, mm. drive around fast and get... 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there and go back and process. It was without a doubt the best training I've, I I could have imagined to do what I'm doing today. And you had Um, that job basically the second half of high school. Yeah. And gosh, even in a little bit in the summers of college, I'd come back and work a little bit or 
just to have the way in, but just having the keys to a building 24 hours a day when you're a kid, 16, 17, 18. Especially in your you know, case, a building with a like functioning lessons. dark room. Like that's, yeah. that's gold, man. Um, yeah. So free then picture, free film. Uh, so then college happens and uh, where'd you, where'd you go for that? Yeah. So, you know, coming from a small town where no one ever went to college, you know, Hey, I'm going to go to Ohio state, become a doctor or a lawyer or something. And, you know, get into that. That lasted for 30 seconds. And next <laughs> thing you know, I'm transferred to a photo school in New York, RIT and hooked up with a bunch of kids. It's sort of like going to one of those John Hughes movies where you go to college and you hook up with a bunch of guys that are kind of in the same mentality from all around the world or country. And they're like, man, this place really isn't the best place for what we're want, wanting to do. We were all photojournalists. And the school actually told us to leave. They're like, you guys, we don't have anything here for you. We know where you're going. You need to go to the school in Ohio, Ohio University. I'm like, I just came from there. I can't go back. And they're like, no, photojournalism program at Ohio U is really good. We jumped in an old car and drove down. And um, the, the, um, the director of the school, Chuck Scott, he looked at us and just said, all right, all right, all right. You're in, you're in. Uh, we'll work <laughs> on you. And we were in. We were in. We, that's how we transferred schools. Oh and, and this was like middle of the semester? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Crazy. And then after that, we just, the, the, the train left the station. Um, all of these guys are of note photographers, entrepreneurs in the photo business, um, created companies. One guy created Photo Shelter, which is probably the leading photo archive system in the, in the world today. Um, wow. I mean, it, it's just amazing what you put, put together, just having the right people together in the same room. And did you know, did you know early on, like working with these folks, did you know that like you wanted to be a photojournalist that more than doing like landscape photography or portraiture or doing oh, like, yeah. live music or, you know, album art, you wanted, you wanted to do, you wanted to capture events in the moment. You wanted, you basically wanted to witness history. Was that, was that part of the appeal? I was kind of clueless to the whole photojournalism thing of what it really, really is. I just like taking pictures of events happening in front of me and having them published in a paper. I didn't know about telling a story. I didn't know about influencing world events and things like that, but I just wanted to take pictures of communities. And we got lucky when we went to RIT we were kind of experienced with um, people who did things landscape wise, architect photography wise. My, the guy that taught me black and white was, um, um, gosh, he was a, it was a printer for um, some pretty well-known photographers of historic value. Um, gosh, we saw it all. And I just said, I don't want to do this. I want to be a newspaper photographer. And in those days it was easy. Um, the newspaper industry was probably in its final big heyday and you had the chance to go work for thriving large papers and thriving small papers. So we got the best of everything when it came to experience and internships. Yeah. I mean, they were, I mean, at that point in the, in the early to mid eighties, they were still making tons of money at just the classified ad revenue alone was gargantuan. And, you know, readership's massive because it's basically that and three network TV, um, even then. I mean, it's like the early days of cable. Um, and so you're still kind of the big dog in town, especially in 
places like where I grew up, like in a city like Lansing, like it's isolated, it's big enough to have its own paper, but it's not Detroit or Grand Rapids. And so like the journals, oh, yeah. everything, you know, oh, yeah, um, I love that paper. Yeah. And so you wound up, you wound up going to work for a number of papers like this in the state of Michigan. Yeah. Um, in Michigan, I was, I would love Michigan. I just, I think that's the place where I got my start. Muskegon was one of my first, well, it was my first internship, but my job at the Greenville Daily Advocate actually got me without really knowing it, a step ahead of most college students. Um, I wasn't formally trained there, but I, I trained myself just by watching and, and seeing other newspapers. And it's but a little Muskegon, bit like any, it's a little bit like any educational pursuit until you get your feet on the ground and you actually are in the trenches day to day, you don't know how to do it. You know how it's supposed to be done. Um, it's a little bit like you can take as a teacher all the classroom management classes you want until you get in a room with 32 kids and have to corral them. It's all theory, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Until you start putting film through a camera and having people look at it and say, dude, why'd you do that? Go do this. Like, uh, but then also, standing right next right next to them as they're taking pictures or watching in the dark room you're like that's how you do it that's how you do it or being with them on assignment and just tagging along and watching um people talk to people and get access that's what it all, that's what this job what i do is access it's not well about i mean it's really fascinating the you know the couple of days i got to spend with you in cynthiana you you and i were having a conversation about a young photographer that you'd been mentoring and you were talking about them getting comfortable with going in a trailer with a subject and that it was that they had to get past that discomfort to the point, not only where they could go inside, where they could basically live with them, get comfortable and kind of not be on guard and just be willing to, and be willing to accept that it was going to happen when it happened and sort of watching you not only teach that lesson, but to listen to it and to think about how that works with, all forms of art and communication. I just thought it was really, it was a really valuable lesson. I always tell kids, you gotta be a chameleon. You gotta be that guy or that person who just wanders into the room and you can have a discussion with, you know, the pillow on the sofa. If, if you can do that, you can walk into almost any door and sort of bring people to ease really quickly and then kind of blend into the, into the fabric of everything and not be seen or be seen enough that people just sort of forget about you and let you do your job. Um, that's the tough thing is to let people off the hook a little bit when you jump into a room and just try to dominate a conversation, but when to pull back and just, you know, here I go, I'm going to do my thing, especially when a picture happens right in front of you. Right. And, um, and, and it must be, it must be amazing to kind of learn over time how to sort of predict what the next step or two are going to be, you know, learning the sort of the machinations of the different. So for example, you might know, Hey, I'm trying to, I'm trying to photograph this Senate hearing. And I understand the way procedure works that the next moment of drama is going to come from X. Right. But you can also know uh, what the rules are like in game six of an NHL playoff series or what it's like, in front of the Capitol on January 6th. And it that can that come from any place other than just living it and doing it every day for a long time? So you hit on it really. The um, like at a hearing on Capitol Hill, 
you could sit there in the well for two, three, four hours without even taking a picture. And people are like, well, how do you know what to do and take a picture? I'm like, it's all pretty obvious. But right when you see the, like the last little ramp up in the committee here, the committee chairman giving his final statement, you see all these photographers all like, whoa, whoa, getting their stuff together, but they're looking around and they've already ID'd where people are going to leave from. If that chairman is going to come down off the podium, going to shake the hand of this guy talking, am I in the right position? Is he going to shake with his right hand? Oh, I better be over here. No, no, no one ever shakes with their left hand. If I'm over, that's stupid. I got to be over here. And I work on Capitol Hill a lot. And these photographers that work for the wire services, the newspapers, it's like, you know, that master's class you see pop up on your Instagram feed every once in a while, like how to take pictures. These guys, they're the best. I mean, they are just players who are watching every little segment of this event, wherever it is, they, they nail it every time. And I just sit back and watch it because yeah, you have the front row to this and it's just amazing. It's just an amazing thing to watch these guys work. That's incredible. Hey Jack, real quick. Can I get you to turn the uh, volume on your phone off? The, the dinger just went off on text for a little bit and I just yeah. want to make sure we're getting everything. Let me make Thanks buddy. I appreciate you. Oh, we bounced out. Yeah. That's my um, computer with my messages dinging. Oh, it's okay. Try we'll we'll work through it, man. That. Don't don't worry about it. I'm I'm uh I just I'm, deleted I'm, it. <laughs> I'll uh I'll I'll figure it out if we have more. I didn't mean to uh I didn't mean to make trouble. Um not a problem. Yeah, man. Uh so so we were kind of in the middle of talking about that whole idea of like positioning and a masterclass of like watching those guys from like the wire services or like, um, you know, um, you know, longtime vets. Um, that must be uh, that must be one of those things, again, where like you just get better at it. You get more intuitive. You understand there's obviously a competition to it because you're all racing to get the shot or the exclusive when you're not in that moment, what is sort of the pool like? Is it pretty collaborative and pretty collegial most of the time amongst the, the reporters? It should be a TV show. It really should. The group of photographers on Capitol Hill or at the White House, just the um, the sheer, it's, it's fun. It's entertaining. It's one of the most um, insane things if you were sitting amongst it, listening to these guys or these women. It's 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 just so matter of fact when world events are happening within inches of you and people are carrying on conversations during a January 6th hearing talking about bacon meatloaf. <laughs> and I honestly had a conversation with a, an amazing photographer and he's just like, man, you got to try this, this recipe of meatloaf. And I'm like, dude, there's this, this guy's testifying right now. January. No, this meatloaf we made last <laughs> night was the most amazing meatloaf. I'm going to send you the recipe. And we, we just talk right. about it or you're covering the same guy. We're at a, a stakeout for, um, gosh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And we're every day getting a bigger ladder to get over a, a, um, um, a wall um, for 20 days. But the entire time you're just standing there and talking about, you know, kids playing baseball, their teams that you're traveling with or, you know, life in general. And then suddenly the door opens up. You're like, oh, hold on. Click, 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 click. And then, okay, man, that meatloaf was really good last night. Wow. It's just if someone could film this, I, I keep pitching this to, to guys and they're like, yeah, no one would ever believe it. No one would ever believe this. Well, but, it is yeah. a little bit like, um, 
your day to day, the stuff that is mundane and boring, like being in a January 6th committee hearing for 12 hours or whatever, like that, that tedium is sort of this fascinating kind of thing that people are sort of checking in and checking out of or getting reports on. And, and you're kind of having to like live it all day, every, and after a while, like it ceases to be kind of magical. It just becomes like drudgery, doesn't it? At a certain point, like you realize, really. you realize it's important, but like at a certain point, um, like, did you reach the point where you were like, is being here say every day necessary? So, yeah, I guess you do come up with ideas on the side. Like uh, you have opinions or you don't have opinions. I, I always fall back on this thing of, I have no opinion. I'm here. My job is not to have an opinion. My job is to tell a story. And oh, right. I think that's the, savior. that's the savior for it, for me to be able to, to just get through some of this stuff because. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I get through it. It's, it's one of those things where you spend a lot of hours and people don't understand the hours you spend just waiting, waiting, waiting. And the folks who finally realize it are like, well, I can't do this. And you can tell it's, it's pretty grueling if you don't know what it takes to do something to, to wait for Donald Trump to come out of a federal courthouse. People think you just walk up and make a picture and leave. And it's all like watching a movie on all the president's men or something, but it's, it's 12 hours before and four or five hours after it's just in the rain or in the cold. It's, right. It's, it's not easy, but it's, uh, it's what we do. So I'm not right, complaining. Right. And, and, and you do, you do get to have a front row seat to history. I mean, I know that that is a cliched statement, but I mean, there, and I'm going to, I'll link your, your awesome website in the show notes, but like, there are some incredible photos just from the riots of January 6th that are just stunning. I mean, there's one specifically that's, that's on the site that is, it's chilling when you understand what's happening in the moment and how close we actually got. Right. Like that's just a, that's a very important, that's a very important moment and symbol of a thing that we're kind of still going through. And you were there for that. And you not only were there yeah. for that, but you showed it to us. That's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. That, that day is kind of a, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I look back on that day and I had some ideas of where I wanted to be and where I needed to be. And I, I'd actually in our planning meeting said, you know, I wanted to be in the Capitol all, all day. And our office was like, you know, there's nothing going to happen inside the Capitol. You know, why are you even thinking that? I'm like, you guys aren't thinking this through. I'm like, no, no, no. You got to be with the reporter out chasing these guys with the Oath Keepers and all that. I'm like, I just don't think that's, you know, I, I think something's going to happen at the Capitol and I should be in there. You know, I got voted down on that. And when this thing all went down and I was just, I had no idea how big and broad this whole day was because I was on the West front thinking, I mean, it can't get any worse than this. I had no idea because the phones were down and things like that. I had no idea that, you know, this, the sheer volume of folks inside. And, and when I got back, um, just to dump pictures, I thought, you know, this is no big deal. I actually had to walk away, you know, half a mile away back to a bureau and transmit. And they're like, oh, there's people in the building. I'm like, man. And there, and luckily there's guys like Scotty Applewhite and Sal Loeb, others that just stood their ground inside and, and made historic, amazing, wonderful 
pictures just because they were in the right place and they were smart. Um, right. I'm still kind of, I'm still kicking myself on that one. There was, I, I chose, I, I, I was right and I should have stuck to my guns, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, man off the bench kind of guy and I go in and do what I need to do. And people tell right. me, go, and, go uh, do, it. do it. And it's not as though you didn't wind up with meaningful photographs from that day. Um, yeah. You know, I realize, yeah. I trust me, uh, I get exactly where you're coming from and I would be focused on that regret in the sense of what I missed out on too. But, uh, but I, I get it. Um, there's a lot of that. There's always a lot of back thinking and sure. Um, you know, well, what's the, the, um, the guy who takes the, the famous photo of Ali at the Liston fight. I can't remember his name. Um, um and, he, and he tells this story about when the fights go ahead. You got it. Um, I life, okay. Neil lifer. Oh, thank you very much. So, but he tells, I remember him telling this story and basically he had been posted on what he saw as the wrong side of the ring and he bitched about it and he complained. And the only reason he got that shot is because he was in what he considered to be the wrong place. And it allowed him not only to get a photograph, but to get a photograph that today is still immediately recognizable. Um, so some of it is luck, but like you're saying, some of it is just knowing where to be and when to be there. Um, and kind not of to panic. I mean, I, yeah, not to panic. I think um, I was at a winter Olympics. Gosh, where was the last winter Olympics? It was in um, Beijing and Sean White was going down the half pipe and he placed fourth was out of the gold, out of the silver, out of the bronze going to be his last competition. And everybody knew that it wasn't a big surprise, but you knew that Sean White was going to go back to the half pipe and say goodbye to the half pipe in his own way as the medals were happening. And, you know, you're all standing on this platform or moving around as the celebrations are happening, but you're like, where's Sean White? Where's Sean White? And, you know, everybody saw him moving back that way. So everybody's moving in like a little pack, trying to stay in front of him, trying to get in that angle. So you see the half pipe, see him kiss the, the board or whatever. And he's crying. But, you know, a lot of stuff is happening over here, a lot of stuff over there. And I had kind of caught it and I kind of was in the right spot. And, you know, I'm following him and I'm, I'm perfect angles and all that. And all of a sudden, um, my battery just dead. My camera just dies. I have no battery, nothing, nothing's functioning. I'm like, oh crap. And I didn't even hesitate. I dropped to my knees. The whole scrum just moves by me and they, they follow him and I'm just laying there. I block people and they're stumbling over me, but I pop the battery out of one camera, let it fly, pull another battery out of my other camera and plop it back in and I'm back up. I'm still on my knees, but in that time, as the pack moved with Sean White, um, he sort of saw the pack and he was getting overwhelmed and he turned to walk away from the pack and he came right back to where I was sitting and almost laying in the snow and it was right there. And he turned to the half pipe and just cried and, and held onto the snowboard, like a, you know, like a blanket. I'm like, oh, click, click, click. And I was in the right place, the right time, luckily by, by a fluke, by my battery dying in my camera. So actually that, that, that photo won some awards this year or last year. And it was wow. just a dumb luck photograph, dumb, stupid luck. That's amazing. Uh, I, I sort of feel like you have to, um, my dad used to love the saying, uh, the harder I work, the luckier I get. 
right? So a lot of it is just showing up and being there and and doing the thing. And if you do that enough, you'll have those little moments like you're talking. And that's that's the goal and that's the idea. It's sort of, uh, I guess, sort of preparing for when the luck arrives and being ready for it, you know? Um, how do you... It feels like that, I mean, based on the experience I had in the couple of days I spent with you, it feels like you're, you're kind of conveying that lesson to these young people as well, that a lot of it is uh, get up, do the work, uh, good things will happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're, listen, this isn't rocket science. And if you're not in a place to take pictures, it's not going to happen. So I just had this conversation with one of our one of our grant recipients that's down in Harrison County just yesterday. He was showing me some work from following a young new newspaper editor for the small town newspaper they have and doing great stuff, great stuff. And he's like, man, I would love to have a picture of her showing somewhere in the, you know, the 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 scope of the city, the town. And he showed me this picture he shot of the courthouse through the windows of the newspaper. It's like, man, there's no way of getting her in the window and this. I'm like, dude, when she's walking across the street, that would be great. He's like, well, there's no way I can, you know, anticipate when that's happening. I'm like, yeah, there is. When she's coming back from lunch or coming from that courthouse, you just make sure you're up in this window looking out. You just stake it out. He's like, huh, I, I had no idea you could even do that. I'm like, you've made the picture. Now, just when you see her coming, make sure, or if she's going in for a meeting, you know she's coming back, be in that spot. And you could see the light bulb turn is on. And it's like, ah, I get that. I'm like, that's what we've been talking about for this whole time, been there. It's a little bit like um, when you're learning to play chess and you learn how to, you learn how to work more than one move ahead. It isn't just, I'm going to put my knight here. It's I'm going to put my knight here and then I'm going to do this based on what the reaction is. And um, I would think as you're kind of trying to set kids up for this, it would be about sort of stacking those moves and getting them to kind of think, you know, multidimensionally, I guess. It's like playing baseball. My kid plays baseball and we go out and just hit ground balls all day and a shortstop, bam, bam, bam. And it's muscle repetition, sure. memory, and same thing with photo. It's like, what am I looking for? What am I going to do? If I don't get it here, I can get it from there. I always say, you know, it's keeping your head on a swivel. And these guys on Capitol Hill, the same way, just always looking around like, okay, we're right here. Where's the next step? And it's chess. It's always, where's the next step? And where's the next step visually? Especially if you're in a place where you're like, man, it's not not visual here. But if that person walked over there through that doorway, hmm, I, there's, I have a picture of um, Bob Dole before he died. He came in for an interview, just a sit-down interview in an office. There's nothing to be done with him in the office. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm like, man, at that time, he was he was unable to get up and down out of his chair by himself. <clears throat> and his body guy was helping him get up and sit. And I saw this happening. I'm like, when he picks him up, He's going to go right through that shaft of light if I stand over here. And if it's just right, if he's looking like I think he's going to look when you pick somebody up out of a chair, he's going to go right into that shaft of light. I'm like, okay, I got what I need here. I'm just going to go over here and sit. And people are looking at me like, what are you doing over there? You can just tell that look. (laughs) 
And I'm just sitting there like waiting. And they're like, you done there? You good, Jack? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And they went to pick him up and set him in the chair. And he just, the profile in the photograph is just it's Bob Dole. And, you know, they're like, you good? And I'm like, all good. Thank you. And we've used that picture numerous times, especially for when he when he passed away as his obit photo and things like that. It's just a really um, kind of, I don't, I don't want to say, um, it's, it's an elegant portrait of him, okay. but it's done in a way he, he had no idea or any want to be. I couldn't have taken that picture if I asked him to do that and stand there and pose. It's about finding the moment of someone's humanity so that it, it broadcasts, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear these stories about about actors who um, there's a famous story about the the old Hollywood actor, Gary Cooper, where he would he would be in the studio and they would be shooting and people on set and the director and his co-stars would all go. There's nothing special about this. It feels wooden. There's nothing. There's nothing. And then you would watch the dailies and it was like some miracle had happened. And somehow what he did in the room didn't translate the way that it did at 24 frames a second. Yeah. And, and it feels to me like, like part of your, 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 I don't know if it's your skill or gift or, or talent or what you want to call it, but part of that experience, that honing is, is sort of learning how to look for those moments of, of humanity. You know, how do you capture the person inside that profile? It's real. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years and it's experience, but it's just that, like everybody says, film through camera and just thinking about it and learning from every exposure. And we're hard on a lot of these students and kids that we mentor and bring in for the projects in Kentucky. And you just don't realize the wealth of knowledge that they're, you know, about to gain in their careers as they keep going. And they're just right. in need of it. They don't quite have it yet. And you're, you're expecting everyone to come in with your knowledge and you just have to understand that, no, they don't have it. Um, the obvious stuff may not be so obvious to everybody else. Um, but that's just 30 years of doing it. Um, and luckily, you know, being around good people and, um, wonderful photographers as well. So you're sucking it from them as well. Well, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be, uh, I mean, if it's, if it's good, it should be symbiotic I mean, you should all be getting something out of it. Um, this is what the fifth year of the program. Yeah. Yeah. So we started in 2018 with this idea. A couple of us actually were sitting in Afghanistan, just waiting for the next mission or the next big thing in some hut somewhere. And we, uh, another buddy who's no longer with us, David Gilkey, um, he, he and I had talked about doing something at the farm for years um, and we came up with this idea, like, man, it'd be great just to bring a bunch of kids down to document this one County every year for the next hundred years. And we joked about it, but we finally did it. We did it in 2018 and we've done it in 2019 and on and on and on. We took a little pause for COVID, but we stormed right back as soon as we could. And it kind of a learning experience for us because, you know, you try to do things smart, right, safe. Um, you can't always do the things as as seat of your pants, as you would do myself as a photographer going into like Hurricane Katrina or Iraq, um, you kind of have to grow up and put on the, um, you know, kind of student to teacher ratio kind of thing. And like, listen, we got to do this safely. Um, that's been a learning experience for us, but five years of this and we've cranked out, gosh, 
I think there, I don't, I don't even know the total number of photographers we've had through, but the number of images is in the tens of thousands. Um, all those are part of our historical document that we have of this fabric of Harrison County. And we're going to keep continuing that. They're all captioned. They're all, you know, names are known, ages, locations, what they're doing, their story. And this is a visual document that will just keep growing. Um, that'll illustrate what this town is about, who they are. And hundred years from now, you'll be able to find these pictures. Uh, we just stumbled across 1500 negatives from a family that have had them in their closet. And her um, grandfather was a photographer in the 19, early 1900s to 1950. And we're scanning those in right now. And it's amazing what the parallel is of what we're shooting to what we're seeing from the 1900s, the same families, but you know, different ages. We don't have a lot of information with those pictures from the um, the early 19th century or the early 1900s, but um, we have some info. But the ones that we shoot right now, they're they're fully you know, a living document. These pictures will live forever, and they will tell people in you know decades to come what what it was like to live in Harrison County. That's am- and that will be a document for what it was like to live in so many places that didn't have the opportunity or the resources or the intention to do something like this. Yep. Um, I mean, it's an incredible window. Um, what do you think? The, the other thing that that's really interesting to me is the vast majority of kids that are working on this are not kids from the area. You know, yes. you guys, like when, when I was there, you had a kid from Yale, right. And you had another one from, forgive me. Yeah, I forget. Harvard and Harvard, North Carolina this year. Okay. I thought it was Princeton, but it was Harvard. Okay. Yeah. So again, and then they come into this little community uh, that is just this sort of rural farm hub, right? I mean, that's up yeah, there. It's, yeah. It's Mayberry. It is yeah. definitely part of America that most people will never witness. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these kids have never witnessed it when they come in. So it's eye opening for them, but it's also eye opening for a lot of the people in the community to get to talk and hang out with a, a kid who's gone to Harvard or Yale or university of North Carolina. Um, we've had students that were local from university of Kentucky or Ohio university, but they're all from outside the community. And so even if you were from bourbon County or Scott County, you're still not part of that social. Everyone knows everyone in Harrison County. And they, they always ask, you know, what's your family name? And it goes back. If you're a furnish or a Clifford or they know who your grandmother was or went to school with your dad or something like that. Right. Yeah. Everybody is kind of an outsider when you show up, but they welcome you. And that's the beauty about this County. They all bought into this project from day one. And, and they seem to have really embraced the gallery. And then that kind of informed the restoration of the theater in some ways, it sounds like. And it seems that this is having some of the outgrowth that you had kind of hoped for and intended within the community. Is that an, is that an accurate assessment as somebody who saw it for a couple of days? Yep. And okay. this community was 10 years ago. I believe the mayor says 10 years ago, 90% of downtown was boarded up. He can count the number of buildings to it on his hand that were open and he, he tracked it. But in the last 10 or 15 years, not only, I mean, there's a lot of credit to these guys, the mayor of the County, he has like four jobs. He's the mayor. He owns the theater with a bunch of other guys. 
He has at one point he was a pastor. Um, he's on a radio show every morning. So everyone in this county owns a business. They're a school teacher at the same time. They coach little league, and everybody comes together. And right now, this little community of people all talking to themselves and each other, they finally started talking to everybody. You know, they got a group and everybody's communicating like, I'm doing this, you're doing this. Can't we do something together? And that's been the sweet spot over the last couple of years. Um, more ideas and more collaboration than we can as a volunteer organization really do ourselves. Um, but, you know, we have a pretty good boots on the ground little volunteer group that is making a lot of things happen and it wouldn't happen without those folks. And I got to kind of meet some of those folks who are in the the guild for the gallery, but also just own businesses around town or work in town. And it was so wonderful to see so many people who seem to be pulling in the same direction. That is such a, um, I don't want to say it's a rare thing. It's a thing I don't think we see a lot of, but maybe it's happening under the radar a little bit like this. You know, I mean, I certainly get to do a lot of that that is directly related to creative endeavors, but this feels like the kind of stuff that I think a lot of my creative associates are trying to aspire to, which is build it out into the community, give it to people, let them run with it a little bit. And we've done that to some degree here where I live, but it's a really gratifying thing. And it was really a treat to get to kind of be a part of that for a little bit and to, to get to play for those folks and to, to hang out. Well, the scary thing is everything we do kind of builds on something else and something else and something else. And it's really, I got, I don't want to say frustrating, but the thing that you have in back of your mind is that there's so much that's possible beyond what we're doing. And it doesn't take a lot, especially people are shocked when they see our budgets and how we put stuff out with the money that we have, which isn't a lot. Um, what we accomplish with just the little and, you know, when they say stretching a dollar, our dollar is going, you know, it's not stretched. It's ready to, it's a rubber band. It's across from block to block. It is, we just had, we just had a sign. Our gallery sits there and people couldn't find it for a while because you drive by it and there's no sign out front, but we've had the local guy who started his own business. He just quit his job and he's a metal guy. And he said, yeah, I'm going to start making signs for people. And he said, I'm going to make you guys a sign because the guy that works for me, you let his wife do yoga in your gallery. It's, it's amazing. I, I love the community. So I'm going to build you guys a sign. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's great. Yeah. And that was six, seven months ago. And this weekend, actually just this weekend, um, he didn't even call me. Someone showed up on Instagram like, hey, look what's going up at the Boyd Station Gallery. And this beautiful lit sign is being you know drilled into the wall. I'm like, this is amazing. I hadn't seen the final concept of it. I hadn't seen what it looked like. I, you know, it's whatever, it's going to work. It's a sign, but it looks great. And the guy did it and it's all gratis. It's like, here you go, guys. I love what you're doing. I'm building you a sign. Boom. Done. Unreal. Un unreal. I, this is, and I think there's so much of this where, you might look at a situation like a project where you bring in some kids to do photojournalism or to tell the story of a particular area. 
or you might say, Hey, we're going to put up local art. We're going to have music or this dude's going to drive down from Michigan and play songs and tell stories on a Friday night. You can do all that stuff. And what I think surprises people and it still surprises me and it shouldn't Jack is that there will be people from all walks of life who will find ways in their own skill set to help. And they will yeah. say, uh, look, I, I can't do anything other than bring wine, but I'll be there. I'll come stack chairs. I'll put up a sign, you know, uh, it just, it's those people who are willing to go, I don't have a lot to offer, but I got this. And there's almost never a time where you go, I can't really use any of that. Like you find some, and you're, you've have already found this sort of community of genuine folks who are truly invested both metaphorically and literally. And oh, yeah. um, I, I can't, I, I just cannot wait to see where this goes, both in terms of this archival project, but also in terms of the things that you're kind of building within that town and the, and the, and the template that that could set for so many other cities like it. Well, talking about volunteers and people who, you know, may not have a specific, you know, big task for the photo project. We saw that six, seven months ago, we had, you know, as we built this gallery, it was more of a playhouse. We needed an office to get internet and to get internet, we had to get this building and to get the building, we had all this extra space. So, Hey, let's put a gallery in. We don't know what a gallery is. I have no idea how to run a gallery, but people, students that were there, like we can hang pictures. We can show our work. Like, yeah, go ahead, do it. If we have funding. We'll buy some frames. People will love it. People started coming and we had a hundred 200 people just show up for a gallery opening. This is great. But then we decided, well, when we're not doing stuff in here, why are we not allowing local artists to use the space? And the idea of creating a little artist guild popped up and you know, like, yeah, there might be one or two artists. You don't know who's in the County. And we put the call out to people that were friends that were artists. Like, Hey, do you have any artist friends in the area? And they're like, yeah. So just in Harrison County, there were, easily immediately 15 20 30 people who were actually creating art i didn't know about them no one knew about them they were creating art in their basement in their bathroom in their garage i walked into one guy's house he's like let me take you down the basement he had murals painted on canvas four feet by eight foot um you know also hundreds he'd been working on this for 10 15 years and just stack them in his in his basement no one's seen this work i'm like the local artist group needs to be formed. We need to have this community. We need to give you a place. All of you need to come together, work together, do what you want to do, but you need a place to show your work and sell your work. Do it commission free. We give you a place. And from that, we've, we've actually went to a spot now in the community where other folks are interested in helping. And we're, we've got another building and we're going to create an artist guild where all these people are going to be able to run this place in the middle of downtown show their work, run it themselves. We'll pay the rent. We'll do all that. They have no overhead, but they'll receive hundred percent of the profits on anything they sell. It'll become a retail space of just handcrafted Kentucky artisan items. And great for them. If it brings people into downtown Cynthia and Harrison County, great for the County. If we keep building that and creating that little momentum, everyone wins. There's not a loser in this at all. It brings people into town. They spend money, they eat, they bring other artists 
they have a workshop for kids. I talk about I talk about this all the time. People always say uh, they want to have cool stuff where they live, or they want to go someplace that has cool stuff. They want to go someplace like Chicago that has a lot of stuff to do, or maybe they want to go to a place like Austin or Portland or Nashville or Asheville that are a little hip and kind of weird or whatever. Those those communities require support to get big enough for the whole world to know about them. And they're also available to you in much smaller doses for free right around the corner in places like Cynthia, Kentucky. And I kind of feel like what I am learning about what I'm doing is kind of finding those places and those people like what you're doing and going, why is, why is the rest of the world a not paying attention to this and b not repeating it? Um, so I like, I, I feel so grateful not only that we got to put a show together, but that like I got to kind of like live in that space for a day and really see what you're doing and kind of understand it from the inside. It's really, is a real treat. Thank you so much for that, Jack. Oh, sure. It is, it is weird. I mean, I sit here, I've talked to a couple of educators today from Eastern Kentucky University and one from Northern Kentucky University, just people calling with ideas and thoughts and reaching out. And I'm in DC, I'm in Falls Church, Virginia right now. It's like, man, if we were there full time, oh my gosh, the things we could do, but you know, life's life. We have, we have things, but someday, I mean, who knows? I would love to be there or have someone there full time, just cranking on this. And, you know, you need a, you need a, a band leader. You need a guy, someone who's, you know, stroking the, the strokes and making this painting come together. And, you know, it it works as it does right now because we're all, we're all committed as, you know, volunteers, but we've seen the ebb and flow over the five years, people. Oh yeah. And then slowly, you know, dissipate a little bit, but you know, every time somebody, you know, can't do it because of family or other, other distractions, others come in and fill the gap. So it, it gets done, but it's, yeah, it's super tough to maintain that momentum though. It is like you're saying, especially on a volunteer basis, like it's tough to kind of have enough people rowing in the same direction all the time. Like you can do it for, for stints and then you got to coast a bit. Um, so you, you sort of foresee the, the, the growth of the internship program continuing in its current state right now. That's the, plan. you know, it comes down to money. I mean, it really does come down to money. Yeah. Time. We actually, we threw an idea out on, on the paper. There's a bunch of community newspapers out there. And we have a couple of ideas about incorporating student photographers and journalists into each of these newspapers every summer. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's, I guess it is the money that is the, not the major obstacle. Uh, I mean, it's money wise, we could put 10 or 15 photographers with little student organizational um, mentorships with, you know, Pulitzer prize winners and people like that for a summer we could do this for under 30 K probably have 10, 15 students all within 45 miles at a different newspaper in Cynthia, Kentucky and around that re- region. But it really comes down to um, the um, bandwidth it would take from myself and others. Sure. Um, I could go out and just raise the cash, but the bandwidth to keep that running smoothly. Yeah. We do two photographers a year at our, our project 306. And I don't think we give them, the hundred percent attention we need to give them. Um, they know it, we know it, but they get a lot out of it. 
but we could do so much more for them. Um, throwing 10 or 15 more kids into the mix every summer would take a little bit of an infrastructure kind of build out. Uh, we're getting there. I think, I think maybe in the next two or three years, we might, that's probably one of our, our, our to-go things, our, our to-do list kind of things, as well as artist residencies that we've built. Um, and again, it's just management, having people there. We've built it. We just don't have the mechanism for when that artist is there like, hey, I need this or that, or the shower is not working, or you right. know, the lights are all, who do you call? And right. You're- we've been actually... Testing you're all a 10 hour drive sure. or whatever away. It's not, it's not like you're yeah. on the corner and you can pop by and uh, do a plumbing repair on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, I did. I I'm so, I'm so thrilled uh, to have gotten a window into this and to get a chance to talk to you about it. And, um, and to talk very briefly about your career, we didn't hit on uh, your, uh, your your years following the the Stanley Cup winning Detroit Red Wings or the 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 awful Detroit Lions, we didn't we didn't really touch on being embedded uh, in in I don't know how many countries, uh, but we can save those for another day. Um, so thanks so much for doing this, Jack. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I I just love what you're doing. I love the spirit you guys got going out there and just get, hitting the road and doing everything you can do to you know hit your dreams and listen to my little dings as they go off here on my computer there goes the wonderful jack grouper and all of his dings thanks so much to jack for being here a couple of times and making this happen and for doing all the cool cool stuff that he is doing both at the usa today and I think maybe more amazingly and importantly, everything he's doing in Cynthiana. Please be sure to go over and check out the show notes or go over and read the essay about this episode on the Substack and make sure you're checking out not only the foundation, but the work that these students are doing. It's really, it's quite incredible. Thanks again to Jack for being here. Thank you for being a listener and a fan and a supporter. Please like, rate, and review the pod anywhere you can find it. Tell your friends about the things that you read and you hear on this show. Please sign up for a paid subscription. It's the only way I can keep doing this. Go to whatamimaking.substack.com. You can become a subscriber and a paid supporter of the show for just $6 a month. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for being here. I will see you all again very soon, my friends. Until then, cheers and all the best. Bye-bye. It was way more a production of ADD and ADHD than Medicine. But we'll say it the right way that there was a production of Medicine and his ADHD. But probably the other way around. <laughs>